Welcome to the Master Retention Podcast, presented by UserWise, where we talk to top mobile game experts about their experiences running successful games. Whether you are building a team from scratch or adding on to an existing team, having common goals and values can have a massive positive effect on your company and its products. This week, Tom speaks with Martina Genfreda, co-CEO at WhatWap. They'll talk about the building process of co-founding a team and sustaining your company's success through shared core values. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to today's episode of the Master and Retention Podcast. Today, I am delighted to have Ms. Martina Gianfrida with us, who is the CEO of WhatWap. I say that right? Yeah, right. Hi, Tom. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and probably one of the first questions I'm going to ask you is actually how you came up with that name. So that'll be fun. Um, but before we get into all that fun stuff, you know, I always like to ask, you know, what's your story? Like, how'd you get into games? Okay, nice. So, uh, hi everyone. Uh, my story, I would say it's quite simple. So I've been, you know, loving games since I was, um, a child. Uh, I was more into, you know, physical games, uh, I'd say, rather than video games, because uh, my parents were not very happy having me, you know, playing at the computer or PlayStation. Me too, me too. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, Anyways, uh, you know, um, so I went to the university, and that's where I met um, Alessandro. We are both computer science engineers. We studied here in uh, in Milan. and you know, we we met, we became friends quite uh, uh, quite early on. And at some point, Ale was starting to you know dig a bit more into uh, games and the Android and you know the apps world. And at some point, he was developing these games. They were very uh, simple games, um, and they were paid ones. And I still remember, this is an, you know, an inside joke for us, but um, I remember texting, texting him one day and I was like, hey, Ale, this is really cool what you're doing, but you know, your graphics sucks. Uh, so, you know, what are you going to do about it? And he was like, uh, well, can you do better? Uh, and, you know, flash forward to today, um, we are... Uh, you know, at what up together, we started building, um, you know, games with a very well-known um, core gameplay because we are no game designers ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that's how basically we got into uh, some of our games are car games, uh, the most successful ones actually. And, you know, uh, what, was a real hook for us was the relationship with the users because early on they started to commenting our games requesting features and we were very fast in you know answering those those requests and that's what got us really excited and we were like okay you know what we want to try to do this for for a living let's see how this goes and you know that's how that's how what WAP was actually born that's super cool. How did yeah. you come up with that name? Like, where did that come from? Oh, Tom, I'm sorry. I cannot tell you that. Because, <laughs> because uh, we have this another, you know, another inside joke that uh, all our employees can actually learn what's behind that name after one year in the company. So, you know, I cannot really tell you. Ah, I'm sorry. So I need to bribe one. Of, I need to bribe an employee, huh? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but again, that's a really, really funny story and something that you would not expect. So basically, for all the curious listeners, they need to move to Italy, work for you guys for a year, and then they can uncover this secret. Exactly. I mean, the moving part is not really requested. Maybe we can cover that part later. But yeah, they need to work with us for yeah for, for at least one year. <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> Okay, so I want to talk a little bit because I don't have too many founders on here, um, but I don't know, like I actually posted about it earlier today and I've been getting all a lot of people just like asking me questions about like, I want to start a game studio or I want to start a game company. Maybe I have a co-founder or a few, maybe I don't have any. What's your take on like 
what should you look for in a co-founder or what should your ideal, you know, game studio team be, you know, like if, if you wanted to start a new studio today, like who would you look for? What would you look for in that kind of founding team? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, well, going back to the founder, um, probably what I would suggest is to have, but it's just the two of us right now, uh, myself yep. and, and Alessandro. And, uh, you know, if we had, I don't know, two more co-founders, it would be uh, easier to cover some, you know, key aspects of the company growing uh, growing up. Because if you don't have a co-founder for that, you need to find a very, you know, a, a couple of very good people to cover that part for you. Um, so who should, what should you look for in a co-founder? Um, I can tell you my experience, which, you know, I'm not saying is the correct one, but what is really working between Alessandro and I is that, well, first of all, we quite soon realized that we were sharing the same values. You know, the, the fun part is that what WAP doesn't have like official values uh, yet, but I know that we shared you know, some very core values uh, between us. Um, and this is something that, you know, I recently realized actually, then we have trust in each other. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the fact that we can, we are actually, you know, reliable. Uh, and I can tell you once, uh, you know, um, uh, an episode that happened even before the official What Wap was born, we were, which was the fact that even though we were just two friends working together, I was doing some graphics for uh, some of his games. I was feeling that, you know, strong commitment in the fact that I gave him my word that, you know, some kind of work would have been done within the night, you know? So it was, for me, it was no brainer that, you know, uh, that piece of art should have, being delivered within the night and you know today uh having um worked with so many people i can tell you it's not that easy uh, (laughs) to find you know even though because we were no co-workers we were just two friends working together and they had the same you know the uh same reliability say uh to me so i think that that was the profound foundation and to answer the second part of the question uh, I think that you should ideally have someone who's good with people, meaning that is someone able to talk to other people to, you know, tell the story about your studio, because at some point you will need to find people who will work with you and will build your studio, right? Yep. Uh, because you're just the starter pack, and then everything <laughs> will be built on that. Uh, someone who's very good with the tech side of it. Uh, so, for example, Ale was um, the game developer, the very first game, ve- game developer that we had. Uh, I was the artist, say. Uh, someone with marketing and another one probably with data slash infrastructure or, uh, you know, tools. Uh, ideally, these are the, I would say, the four pillars for uh, so, for So tech marketing, art, and probably like data analytics. Yeah, instead of art, I would say people, someone who's able, you know, to mm-hmm. hire talents and understand what we need and, uh, and has also, you know, this business vision of the, the kind of roles that you actually need to cover. Yeah. How do you pick who's the CEO? <laughs> um. You know, I, again, I can tell you my experience with Ale. Uh, So we are both co-CEOs. And the reason for that is that because I think that we uh, are very much complementary minds. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that, you know, that's the perfect fit, but I think it works quite well for us. We've been in the business for the past nine years. And, you know, we've been profitable since day one. We must you know, do something right uh, somewhere. Um, so I would say that what's working with us is that I tend to be the more, you know, uh, impulsive person, the more, you know, the, the, the <laughs> feeling person. He's the analytical one. He's more, you know, way more 
stable, say, from, from that point of view. And, you know, sometimes I try to pull him uh, towards me. Sometimes the other part happens. So, yeah, uh, yeah I would say that ideally you should find someone who's able to have both both sides that would be you know the perfect fit but i don't think it's quite common and or easy yeah what, no, do, you think, what do you think of that i've heard um well i've heard it outlined in a lot of different ways um mm -hmm. i think the maybe most prominent one is, is like the golden pairs concept of your mm -hmm. steve jobs the more impulsive visionary leaders, which I would probably put myself as sounds like maybe you're kind of that way. And then there's the Steve Wozniak's or the, you know, Ali in this case, um, or on my team, Garrick, um, the more like grounded people that are like, Tom, your head is like three years away from now. Like we got to get back to like today, we got real stuff we got to deal with. Um, so I think you need those, those kind of two factor people. And it may be possible to find it in a single person, but I think it's very, very rare. Um, so you almost need the visionary and then the operator is another, um, you know, term that I've heard where the visionary can kind of see the future. The operator actually goes through the day-to-day -day steps to actually get to where that, you know, exactly. vision, that future is going to be. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree with you. Well, you already answered one of my next questions, which was what was the, uh, you know, things that you should look for uh, in a co-founding team. So, okay, well, that was great. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit because you guys have been able to do what very few studios have done, which is successfully launch, you know, a game and then not even just a game, but multiple games. Um, and I'm curious, you know, what is your process or your take on how do you come up with new game concepts? How do you test them, figure out like, what is this winner going to be? Cause I, I see so many games that ultimately like seem like they're very good quality. They're very fun. They're very interesting. And then they get into soft launch or, or whatnot and they just flop for whatever reason. Um, so I'm curious, like what's your process for coming up with a new game? So, you know, really, uh, the, the process is very, um, we, we start on a very high level, which is what do we want to achieve as a company, right? So a good example for us would be that um, we want to scale what we have. So at first, the first thing would be, okay, how can we actually build something that can help us scale? And that goes with many, you know, possible strategies that you can actually follow and again that's when you know uh the analytical part kicks in and we're like okay what can we actually achieve with what we have what will we need to actually build that or these or whatever and this is like on a very high level then we are like okay in terms of games do we have the expertise to actually build i don't know an rpg game or something well, probably everybody in the company would love to do that, but maybe we don't have, uh, you know, the people who actually have, have that kind of expertise. So we would be like, okay, we can just, you know, take this to the side and focus on something that we already tried or something else. And that's where we're like, okay, say that we only have experience with car games. So the most uh, you know, easy answer for us would be, okay, let's just stick with another card game. Can we then find an hour, another card game that is big enough to help us scale? But at the same time, at the same time, sorry, we think we can actually, you know, we have the expertise and the skill to build it. And, you know, that just goes down the funnel. And uh, this is what we actually did I can tell you a couple of examples? Uh, so the first one that uh, was um, no good strategy was that we tried building a bingo game uh, back in 2018, very late 2018, um, and we then realized that you know the execution had some problems. Uh, we had no experience with. I don't know, benchmark data, uh, what should be the retention for this kind of game? What kind of a monetization can we expect out of it? 
And, you know, all these things were, uh, you know, had a struggle a bit on that. So we decided to kill the game. And what we did um, last year instead was running another strategy. So we were like, okay, as you said, we had, we, today we have three games, which more Mm -hmm. or less look like similar games. Why don't we just, you know, use these games as templates and just build other, you know, card games in other, in other countries. And that was hard as well, because we spent some time uh, building this uh, team, which was called Game Factory. The goal mm-hmm. of the team was to build this template, you know, and then the Game Factory will then pass on the, uh, let's say, the, the, the shell to another team uh, that would be, you know, in charge of the soft launch and, and everything. And it was, uh, this strategy was not good either because uh, we were struggling finding, you know, market fit or, uh, uh, again, the execution was quite hard. So I would say that, you know, the short answer to your question is uh, that we first think about the goal and then we're like, okay, do we actually have the expertise to do this or we know nothing about it? Because, you know, at the end of the day, knowing nothing is just like, you know, getting your job even harder, I think. Yeah. But as I said, on the other hand, doing something that you think you already know that you can do doesn't mean that you will find success. So you talked a little bit about um, strategy in terms of like, is this going to help us achieve our goals? So do you guys have some sort of overarching, let's say like vision for the company of here's, here's where we're trying to get to, you know, five or 10 years from now. And if you do have that, do you use that as like a lens to be like, okay, well, here's this idea. When I look at it with the lens, it's not going to help us get there. So we don't do that thing, but this other thing does help us get there. Yeah. Let's say that uh, we, I don't know if it, if it's like, five years, uh, you know, in the future, but we do have this vision where we would like to get what up to the next level, which is again, having, you know, maybe a more global game uh, just to get more users and, uh, you know, increase the company from that point of view. Uh, But yeah, absolutely. When we are like that, we are always looking at, uh, does this actually make sense? you know, this specific action is this, why is this action helping us reaching our, our goal? And then if the answer is, you know, it's not clear enough or uh, is not aligned with w- where we want to go, we just, you know, we just drop it. Yeah, that makes sense. So most of your games, would you say they're, they're mostly popular like card games in Italy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have Italy and France. Yeah. Have you, you know, tried to take any of them to like another country and like, you know, go through the process of teaching a card game? Or have you found that with card games, it's either it's a universal game that's played in all countries, let's say maybe solitaire. I don't know if that's the case, but I'm assuming so. Um, Or as, you know, like, then I, th- I find that there are some games that are very country or even region specific within countries. And I feel like it might be difficult to take that and teach that entire card game if you didn't grow up playing it. Um, have you found that's the case or is it possible to kind of go through that additional education step? Um, that's a really nice question because this is something, you know, I wonder about a lot actually. Uh, and the answer is, I don't know the answer, <laughs> because <laughs> I think there are some games which are complicated enough that, you know, learning how to play them is quite hard for anyone. Uh, I tried, you know, uh, many different games, card games uh, in my life since I started WAPWAP, and I can tell you there are some quite complex games out there, while there are some others which are instead quite easy. Um, So, you know, the question is why 
no other company ever, at least as far as I know, ever tried or was even you know successful in doing something like that. Mm. Probably there is something you know uh, very challenging there. That doesn't mean that we won't you know try maybe someday because um, you know having uh, games that are very targeted for a specific country helps you a lot with focus. So you can just worry about you know one specific target and you can just <laughs> optimize the game to the maximum. Um, and this is something that I think we were quite able to do. Uh, of course, that leaves out all you know the whole challenge, which is okay. Can we actually, you know, increase the potential of this game? Can we actually find other or more players to to you know that can actually learn the game or love the game as it is? I don't have the answer yet, but if we will try to and we will succeed, I guess you will you know you will hear about us. Yeah. Well, you know, one here's an interesting, you know, idea that I, you know, might noodle over. Um, so perhaps like, I don't know if you can study like games, let's say you want to go to the US. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think I've actually played Scopa La Fida, but um, probably should because we talk enough that I should, you know, have a better idea. Of it. But um, I'm assuming that if that game doesn't exist in the US, maybe there's a somewhat similar card game. So like take Euchre and Spades and Hearts. They're all kind of like similar in the realm of like you have the Trump card or something like that. Um, and I think it would be a lot easier for me to let's say convert a Spades or a Heart player to a Euchre player than it would be for me to take someone that's maybe only played solitaire and convert them to a Euchre player because there's so much additional context that you have to teach. Whereas, you know, if you're going from a game that already has Trump to a slightly different variant, they at least understand the general concepts and then you just have to teach them the nuances of the rules. Yeah, I would say that, you know, the, uh, it just, this makes sense. But when we talk about how do you market this, mm -hmm. right? How do you try to convince someone who's, you know, uh, really hooked with spades and be like, hey, why don't you try this other game, which is kind of similar, but not that much with the game that you already love. Yeah. Uh, so I think that uh, one big advantage for, uh, you know, having these classical games is that people already know how to play them. Maybe there is some kind of, you know, distant memory because they used to play it with some, uh, you know, when they were younger or maybe with their their parents. So there is market for that and it's quite easy. But when it comes to convincing people to play a new game, then my question for you would be, how would you, you know, run marketing for these people? How would yeah. you convince them? Well, here's an interesting idea um, that I'm going to throw out. This is going to be a fun podcast episode altogether. Um, <laughs> You know, and, and, and something that I've thought about a lot is, is there, are, are there consequences of us continually having separate game entities? Like, um, would it make more sense to have kind of a single app or game um, where I can come and I can choose whatever games I want to play? So you could have chess in there. You could have solitaire in there. You could have scopa la fida um all these different things and so when i know that i want to play hearts i just open up that game and i can click and play hearts with people to my heart's content i don't have to ever choose any of those other games but um maybe you start to introduce some live ops events or something and, and maybe scopa la fida if you play it and check it out you can get some interesting things and it could be a, a you know a way that you can introduce people across you know different games and different genres but as a user it's really nice that i don't have to have 15 different card games i just have the one that i go to um so I, I don't know have you ever considered something like that i, I think somebody did that in uh yeah the, the mina region yeah um, yeah the, there there is one uh but i also i i still remember um talking to someone who was working in a company that was doing precisely this um mm -hmm. 
uh, this guy was mentioning that, you know, it was very hard to um, do the measurement on marketing activities because they were not really able to understand why this person was actually downloading their game, well, their app, because they were not able to, you know, it, it was a mess. But I think that <coughs> there is um, some other, you know, th there's another challenge, probably bigger to what you mentioned. So if I have to start learning a new game, right, a new card game, why do I do it? Why do I do that in real life? So if I think about my personal experiences, because maybe I am, you know, with some friends and then, you know, we are out at night, maybe without internet. And they're like, oh, look, I have this deck of cards. Why don't we try, you know, uh, spades? And I'm like, I don't know how to play spades. And they're like, well, we teach you. And then you yeah. spend the night, you know, learning the game. So if you if you try to compare this experience into the app where I have other games, either I'm like a super fan of card games for whatever reason, and I spend <laughs> my time to learn all these games. Yeah. Otherwise, I don't think it's going to be very, you know, very successful. Uh, not for, you know, not for this specific, uh, having this specific goal. Also, there is, uh, there are some variants for the games, like Scope, our game has many different variants. And if you want to, you know, do some proper, um, if you want to offer, say, a, a proper product to your users who are in love with the game itself, you need to manage all, you know, these um this request, this variance. So I think it's, um, you know, it depends on which level you actually want to build these, say, um, content for your players. So it can work, but at the end of the day, I think it really, as always, it depends on the goal that you have. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, speaking of marketing a little bit, um, we have entered this post IDFA world, um, COVID, you know, is kind of pulling back. Google is just about to also implement their version of IDFA. Um, how has marketing and, and growth and stuff for your games, has that changed at all in the last few years? Yeah, it did. Uh, of course, uh, just like I think all the other gaming companies, we saw a huge boost during COVID. Um, mm -hmm. So we had so many new players um, engaging with our games and we spent uh, a good part of 2021 trying to keep these players and acquire more players. Um, it was hard. It was way more expensive because um, our main market is Android and you know we had no real impact on iOS users because we don't have much activity on on that platform in terms of user acquisition but all you know those companies that stopped doing user acquisition on iOS they turned to Android and that had you know the the, uh, the CPIs skyrocket so we are in the process of understanding what's the best strategy to actually you know run user acquisition today um we are also looking for uh, a head of growth actually for the marketing department so let me do this very <laughs> light <laughs> hiring placement but yeah i mean i think this is one of the challenges uh for you know the this role like having different games like all our games are in a different stage of their own life um mm -hmm. And, you know, this is a challenge per se, I think. And then I'm looking also for someone who's going to be able to um, help us scale the company. So I'm having all this conversation with people. Uh, and one of my questions is exactly what you asked me. Like, what did you do when, you know, the iOS 14 revolution hit? 
where were you? <laughs> what were you doing? <laughs> How did you react? Um, and, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is that I am getting so many different answers. There are, you know, the people who say, well, it didn't change anything for us because we were able to do some magic. There are some others who are like, yeah, we just, you know, turn to the probab probabilistic attribution and we're doing the other way. And, you know, we, you can get so many different answers. My answer for you is that we don't know yet. Have you and guys I'm ever, looking for someone who yeah. knows. So what's, what's your ideal, you know, head of growth candidate that you're, you know, thinking about, like, what would be your dream, dream candidate? So I think that, uh, you know, the answer I always gave to this question is that I am looking for someone who is able to answer different challenges with different solutions. And is, you know, to that is also able to apply common sense. Do you, have an example of what, do you have an example of what that actually means? I mean, it sounds very basic, right? But um, too many times I find, I talk to people who are like, uh, yeah, you know, I had a similar situation uh, to that uh, because maybe I was working on, I don't know, social casino game, for example. And, you know, we did this strategy, which worked. So let's apply this strategy. And you're like, okay, can you, this is actually what we do. So we're like, okay, okay, can you tell me why do you think this should work? You know, what kind, how can we actually measure if this is going to work or not? Um, what, do you have any data that can actually help you understand if that's going to work or not? I mean, at the end of the day, marketing is always, you know, testing new strategies. I get that. But when you do that, you need to, actually you know put some thoughts on that and be like okay i think this is gonna work because too many times it's like well the account manager suggested and i'm like no no <laughs> no the account manager <laughs> this is not an, a good answer for me yeah um have you guys ever tried any sort of marketing or growth tactics beyond um just like your standard paid performance marketing to be honest with you, no, uh, because the marketing department in WhatWap was born just like two years ago. And, uh, you know, uh, we were running just performance uh, marketing. And the reason why I am looking for uh, right now, I'm not looking for, you know, uh, UA manager or uh, head of UA, but I'm looking for growth is mm -hmm. because I think that we need someone with a very broad view to that i don't know how to run you know um effective campaigns i don't know how to market in the best way our games uh let alone how to launch a new product on uh, on a new market but i am looking for someone who's a generalist enough you know in order to understand how can actually this person can bring a different different point of views on a specific issue that we have so no we didn't because there was you know never the need until i would say january this year and that's when we started to be like okay let's do some proper search yeah if you um, have anything to suggest i mean i'm all <laughs> all well, so I, i'm becoming more and more fast like you know paid performance marketing well at the end of the day really the only winner is Facebook and Google uh, because they can figure out algorithmically how much can I, you know, charge you for this and they can just keep getting a, a bigger and bigger portion of that. And, you know, yeah. the advertiser at the end, you know, game gets a little bit and you end up getting a little bit of that LTV, but the rest of it just goes to, you know, Google and Facebook. Um, there's a book that I read last year that I really liked. Um, it was by Andrew Chen called The Cold Start Problem. <clears throat> And so Andrew Chen was, uh, he might've been the first one, but he was like very early and in the growth department of Uber. Um, and so you got some interesting stories about Uber, but the rest of the book, he talks about, um, you know, growing other businesses and stuff like that. Um, especially those with network effects, you know, I would imagine a card game after fashion has some level of that because it's probably more fun to play scopa if i can play that with my other like friends and family and i can you know rub it in their face even if we're far away or whatnot oh yeah um, so 
the cold start problem basically says that when you have any sort of like networked um, platform or solution or whatnot, be that Uber or Airbnb or Scopa or whatnot, um, you have to figure out like, what's the hard side of the market and how do I get this thing going? Because usually once you get it going, it can kind of grow organically. Um, and I was very fascinated with how Tinder got started. So Tinder, for them, the hard side of their market was women. And not only that, but you have to almost have like micro networks because you have to have that vicinity and you have to have a large enough amount of women that you can actually like match with people. Um, and so how they launched is they went to forget which college, some college in like LA, I think somewhere in California. Um, and they basically went and they found like the sorority that had like the hottest girls on campus, like a ton of them. And they threw a big party for them, like, you know, all inclusive, get all this beer. And it was like invite only. And they also invited like a few other like sororities and a few other like fraternities with like hot guys on campus. Um, and the only like condition to get inside was you have to download Tinder and sign up for an account. Um, and then suddenly um, Tinder just kind of took over the campus because all the other guys were like, Whoa, well, there's all these really hot girls on there. I'm going to sign up. And then all the girls are like, well, that's where all the guys are. And it kind of, uh, ballooned this organic. And then they figured out, Oh, that worked. And then they went and they did that, you know, campus to campus. Now, I think when they wanted to roll out of colleges directly, they had other approaches and stuff like that, but that initial like sign up was just very fascinating to me. And I've never really heard of any games companies taking like a unique approach of how do we get this thing started for Airbnb, their hard side of the market was, um, property owners. How do we get, you know, property owners and stuff. Um, and I think for a while until it got uh, shut down is they would scrape the web pages on uh, Craigslist for people that were like renting houses and they would just like pull them in and like generate Airbnb listings. So it seemed like they had all these like, you know, houses and opportunities and stuff. Um, and it was just a very interesting, different approach that I don't really see game companies do too often. I think it'd be really cool to see, you know, like a card game company or something like, well, we're going to go to these particular conferences of people that are just like card game fanatics. And we're either going to introduce them to Scoopa or whatever we're going to do. And like, how can we like get that organic, you know, network kind of started and go from there? That's, a, that, that's really interesting, actually. Yeah, I, I didn't know any of these uh, two stories, um, you know, and it's really fascinating to me as well. Uh, I would love, you know, to work with someone who's able to have these kind of crazy ideas. I would be very happy to follow up with that. But, you know, at some point I would still be like, okay, but where are the users, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I think that's, it could be really interesting, especially because our games rely very much on the social effect. Uh, so people, you know, our users build communities outside the game itself. They have Telegram groups, they have WhatsApp groups, they build the impossible on Facebook or everywhere. I mean, I just love them, <laughs> to be honest. So that could, you know, that could actually work. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, okay, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Um, I want to talk a little bit about building a games team. Um, so, you know, you guys got started, kind of your first app, it was kind of just the two of you. Um, walk me through the process, like, what was it like to, to go out and hire people? Like, did you make any big mistakes or like, are there any lessons learned that, you know, you could share with folks that are, you know, just getting into this hiring phase? Okay. Where do I start? <laughs> um, well, you know, if I, um, to give you a bit of context, when we started the company was uh, 2013, we were, we are in Italy there is no real, you know, gaming culture. We are still building that in, uh, in, in the country. We were 24 and 25 years old. And, you know, we were out there be like, hey, it's just the two of us want to work with us. 
and it was a disaster. It was really, really hard for us to find employees. So, you know, if I was to start today with the knowledge I have today, of course, I would start with um, hiring more experienced people at first, more senior people, like also because, you know, these are the people that are gonna, you know, who are gonna hire other people. And uh, that's just gonna be uh, way easier. In terms of errors, uh, well, I mean, I would say that a common error is uh, when you don't find what you're looking for, you tend to, you know, negotiate with yourself because maybe you are in a hurry because for whatever reason and you start like, well, you know, maybe this person is not exactly what I wish this person was, but still I think uh, they can do the job. And that's usually, I would say the number one mistake. So my suggestion for everyone would be look for the right person until you will find it. Um, I think it's like when you start a relationship, right? At some point, you're gonna find the one. <laughs> and that's it. That's the same for uh, for employees, I think, especially you know on a on a certain level, on a certain on a certain seniority. Then I think that within the you know the game team, because we have different game teams um, dedicated to um, a product, I think that, you know, you should balance the kind of uh, skills, soft skills and tech skills, the personalities that you're going to put together because they, the team needs to find, you know, uh, its own balance, I would say. So you cannot always have like the top performer on everything because at the end of the day, it's not going to work. Uh, you cannot only have, you know, superstars. Uh, first of all, because there are not so many. Second of all, because um, I think that uh, even the superstar needs, you know, to have someone around around them uh, who can actually help them get better and, and whatever. Um, so, yeah, I think that would be my very number one um number one advice and you know it's really hard for me because i am the one directly involved in uh, the hiring processes so if you ever want to have an interview at what you're gonna meet me at some point but you know the person who's really the gatekeeper and helps helps me doing that and challenges me is Alex. so he's the one like are you sure you are we are not you know just lowering our expectations because we are not finding the right person and that kind of challenge that kind of you know those kind of questions they are really really helpful at the end of the day because one once you are way too deep into something you can you know start missing out on some hints yeah do you guys take you know i, I know you mentioned you don't have official core values um you know at the company level but you know you and ali kind of shared some some core values and stuff do you guys look for those when you're interviewing people is it just kind of like a gut thing you know are they even important at all or, or can they be just kind of taught to employees once they kind of get through the door um no you know we i think we are uh we, we tend to share a principle let's say so one uh principle which is very important for us is um you know the fact that you should be aiming for uh, some speed of action so there are you know people who are like well you know i maybe there is some i don't know one hour task and this person will be like yeah i'll tell you within tomorrow night and you're like why i mean uh you know of course it's always a matter of priority but at the same time it's a matter also of flexibility so i would say that we we tend to look for people who are either very ambitious people or if they are not ambitious people, we tend to look for people who, the way I define it is like have the winning mindset, meaning that these people need to always set the bar very high for themselves. And thus, you know, that will set the bar high for the people around them because they will expect the same level of 
you know, uh, quality of commitment also from their coworkers. So I think that these are the two people we, uh, you know, we tend to prefer, let's say. Um, and yeah, then we have these speed of action, which is more or less a mindset in, uh, in our opinions. Like if you can get something done, just get it done. Like don't, you know, procrastinate or just think about having the big project or whatever. It's just like, what's the most effective solution that you can find for this problem? Always a matter of balancing, you know, the cost and the opportunity. Yeah. Part. Do you guys use any sort of like, skills-based test, take-home project, or, or do X, Y, Z? Like, how do you figure out if, you know, someone's second? So as an example, I've found that there is a very big difference um, between, let's say, a good programmer and a great programmer. Um, so, you know, like, I can get stuff done from a coding perspective just by the force of my sheer willpower of, like, you know, just grunt forcing it. And, you know, then I remember the first time we actually hired and I watched the first what I consider a real programmer. This dude went in Vim and the stuff that he like, I was like, well, there's no way that that just like works. And it just did. It just like blew me away. It was like, you know, watching your favorite game that you thought you were good at on Twitch and just like realizing you had no idea what was even going on. You're just like a complete noob. Um, I found that, you know, the amount that that great programmer can get done versus like the good programmer is something between like 10 to 100x more. Um, but I, I also find that there's like a really big balance of like, can you really test for that? Should you test for that? I know more senior people kind of get offended when you ask them to take like a skills test. So I'm curious, like what you guys uh, process and approach is. Well, I, I think, uh, I guess the question for you would be in this case, what do you think was the real difference between, you know, the good programmer and the great programmer? So, you know, I, I don't know that I have enough experience to really say for real, otherwise I would have Let's a think lot about more. it. Um, Let's think but about I, it. I think, you know, one thing that we've generally found with people that are um, really great programmers is they just have this like sheer love of coding and learning. Um, so like, what do you do in your free time? Oh, well, you know, this weekend I bought XYZ and I like coded up some robot or I learned this new language or I did something like they do it just because uh, like the sheer fun and joy of it. And that's not always the case, especially as they start to have, you know, families and kids and other responsibilities and things like that. But um, it's almost like this, willingness to explore and then I would say you know sometimes maybe like good programmers are um, in the realm of like well I got really good at this language and this thing and I don't really want to like go out of that I want to like stay in this lane so uh, you can see me nodding because uh, I think you touched that I think for programmers as an example curiosity makes all the difference and again, that's to me is more like mindset and or a soft skill rather than, you know, being like a dragon at writing code. So again, it's uh, a matter of mindset. This is how I call it. Is it mindset? It can be, you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, what makes the difference to me is like curiosity for, you know, these very technical roles. Yeah. I don't know. I, I have found though, that some, you know, programmers will have that and then they'll still fail the programming test like more abysmally than, you know, even I would. Um, and again, I'm not a very good dad. It's like, if I can teach myself on the fly how to do X, Y, Z and still do way better than this other candidate it's like, well, hiring this person will obviously be lowering our standards. Um, and so, you know, do you still do some sort of technical test or is it yeah, still yeah, just kind do. of on the fly? Yeah. No, no, yeah, we do. But to answer your, uh, you know, th this note, uh, of course, you know, there are some jobs that people, some people do, but that doesn't mean that they are the best at doing it. They can yeah. be, you know, great on the soft skill side, but at the end of the day, they are not, you know, uh, good enough 
let's say, to actually, you know, excel in that specific job. So, and this is like, this is normal, right? So I was uh, an average UX UI designer back then, but, and I was very curious. I was, you know, soft thought on all the, uh, the Adobe suite and everything, but at the end of the day, I was just not good enough. And, you know, that's, I mean, that's life, right? So that's okay. And yeah, we do uh, have this tech assessment, um, but yeah, then we try to do, you know, way more a soft skill assessment. So we have like two to three questions that can actually help us understand where you are as a person. Yeah, very interesting, cool. Well, I, I know we're about out of time here. I feel like we could keep going for like another hour easily. There's lots of fun. But um, since we are on the Master Intention podcast, I always like to ask, you know, what's one tip or trick or lesson you learned over the years, especially last year, 2021? You know, how do you keep your players playing for longer? How do you keep them coming back day after day, week after week, hopefully year after year? We uh, would say social interaction within the game. So uh, I, I mean, I can say so many things that, you know, are just so easy to say, which is like, you should care for your users. You should listen to your users. You should do all these things, which are, you know, uh, basic, uh, you know, the, the basic background here. I think that's a good way to, entertain and keep your users playing is you know let them if your game uh, is designed like that uh, to let them have fun and you know engage among each other that would be something that at least I can see working so we focus very much in the social interaction among our players within the game and they just love it they have friends. We have even, you know, weddings that came on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that I would say that's the, you know, the upside of having a very, you know, localized game. So yeah. people who can actually meet and Me. fall in love. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Well, Martina, thank you so much for joining us. Um, if people do have any questions or, you know, maybe want to learn more about that growth role, you know, is there a good way for them to get in contact with you? Yeah, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn or uh, as you perfectly said, it's Martina Gianfreda. Um, or um, I can, I don't know, I can leave you my email or uh, as you prefer. Sure. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. -bye. <laughs> Bye.